can find the 11th chapter of Acts in your Bible, turn with me to the 11th chapter of Acts. Now, some things have happened uh, since the 11th chapter of Acts. You remember uh, Stephen, who was uh, stoned, killed by the Jews because they were so opposed to his message about Christ. And there was such a disturbance after that that the Jews were uh, increasing their persecution of Christians. And so the Christians flew to many places, moved to many places in the world. You'll also remember that when Stephen was being stoned, that Paul was there as an observer. He was uh, uh, an official Jew who was persecuting Christians. And Paul goes off to Damascus to carry some more papers and persecution, has his conversion experience, and then has his own kind of time to think. And while that's happening, this is what happens from chapter 11, verse 19. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution in connection with Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, telling the message only to Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For so a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples, now the disciples here are not the twelve. This is the disciples who were following Jesus, Greeks alike. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. The crocus is one of my favorite flowers. It blooms early in the spring before the environment is very healthy and very warm. There are other flowers, like the rose, that bloom when the weather is great. And all the other flowers are blooming. But the crocus blooms early in spring. It takes courage to be a crocus. We need crocus-style Christians in our culture today. Christians who are willing to bloom when the circumstances are against it. Christians who choose to be right 
even if the people around them don't think it's very right. If the people in Antioch, the town people in Antioch, had not seen this difference in these early believers, in these Gentile believers, they would never have called them Christians, little Christs, people who are like Christ. They wouldn't have called them that, but they did because they were special people. I think I'd like to kind of highlight three or four characteristics of those crocus-style Christians from those early days in Antioch. The first characteristic is uh, an internal commitment stronger than an external opposition. The crocus flower blooms because of the power inside of it, not because the environment around it is really good. For Christians, hostile circumstance is a given. Some of you don't think so. Life is so easy. But Jesus tell us, tells us that opposition, hatred, uh, is a part of our very lives if we're a follower of Jesus. Polycarp was an early Christian father. And because he refused to change his mind about his faith, they burned him at the stake. Today, around the world, the people who track those things tell us there are more Christian martyrs in the last hundred years than all the centuries before of Christendom. Because the world is hostile to Christianity. We don't experience that much here in McDowell County, I don't suppose. Anybody ever hear that happening, a Christian martyr in McDowell County being killed for the faith? I, I don't think we hear that, do we? We don't hear that. But I promise you, there is still hostility toward Christian ethics, toward Christian belief in McDowell County. Sunday school teachers in this church and in every other church in McDowell County have a trouble every week. And that trouble is finding time to prepare for your lesson. Your family, your job, your social group, your own personal desires for recreation and me time, all of those are hostile to you bringing the Word of God to your people on Sunday morning. I don't care whether your people are five years old or 105. That's a hostile world toward the Christian faith, even though we'd like not to think of it that way. Young people in primary school, girls especially in middle school, people in high school in college have a hard time when they want to include somebody that's not very well thought of in the community. 
Uh, they're a nerd. Uh, they have some disability. Uh, they don't dress as nice as the rest of us. But a Christian kid wants to make a difference. And they want to reach out to that child or that kid or that youth. But there's opposition, there's hostility by their friends when they do. There's hostility in the business world right here in McDowell County. As Christians, the ethics that we have for business and about how we treat people is not like the traditional business world. And if we choose not to be like the traditional business world, but to be Christian in our ethic and relationship to people, in our honesty and integrity, we get in trouble for that. Some more trouble than others, but we get in trouble for that. There's hostility in this county for business people who always want to do the right thing. The kind of internal commitment that allows us to have this external power only comes in one way. I think Paul expresses its best in Galatians. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of Man who loved me and delivered himself up for me. Until we die to our own selves, it's not likely that we're going to have this internal power to combat external opposition. Another characteristic of crocostyle Christian is a challenge to be first. Not first in every competition that you make, not first in some school project, but first to stand for what is right. There was a college student. He was a junior in college. He knew his way around. He knew the ropes. But he had embarrassed himself. He would embarrassed his family. He embarrassed the school. And because his family was an acquaintance and friend of the president of the school, he got to go to the president's office instead of the dean of students' office. And when he got there, he knew he was in trouble, but the president said mostly, why? And the student says, well, you know, there's not a dozen guys in this campus who wouldn't do exactly the same thing that I did under the same circumstances. And the president simply said, why couldn't have you been one of those 12? I wish it were not true, but the words of Jesus speak to us clearly. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of God, but he who does the will of the Father who is in heaven. Our Christian witness often gets muffled, does it not? By our own inability to stand for what is right. 
whether it's at home or in the classroom or in the business world or in my social community. There's a third characteristic of a crocus-style Christian, and it's that we need to recognize the power of the deed, the power of our actions, what we believe in our minds, our intellectual thoughts mean very little to the world around us. Whether it's close around us, our children, close around us, our neighbors, or close around us, our business associates, doesn't mean much to them what we say we believe. What matters is what we do. Our actions speak louder than our words. And in those deeds, we find the power to be the kind of witness God's called us to be. Now, a crocus could lay beneath the icy soil and talk about the spring, and he knows it's coming, or she knows it's coming, as loud as they could. But nobody believes the crocus who's still under the soil. But when the crocus breaks through the ice and the hard soil and shows its bloom, then I know spring is on its way. I can count on that because of the deed of the crocus. Fred Craddock tells a story of an evangelist in the early 20th century. He is a rural evangelist and goes to rural churches during the summer and has 10-day revivals. This evangelist had uh, decided to go and, and create a different circuit this summer. And so he goes to a new place where he's never been before and sets up his organization and uh, gets his choirs together of course, it's hotter than blue blazes, and there's no air conditioning. So the windows are up in this little country church. And out on the uh, side of the church property is a house, and there's a house there. And on that house porch, front porch, that first evening of the revival, there sits a lady in a chair, and he sees her, and He's making some introductory remarks, and he looks out the window and decides to say, Why don't you come on in? You afraid we might take an offering? He forgot to ask why that woman was on the porch. And she was there because the deacons of the church had placed her there in her wheelchair so she could hear the music and listen to the message from her porch. The revival was over. There was no revival in that church because that particular evangelist failed to find out some information he should have found out about before he shot off his mouth. I wish I hadn't ever said anything like that because it's happened to me. Ethan's ever happened to you? I hope not. Let's don't, let's don't have a confession this morning. 
It is the deed that has the power. Not my great intellect. I can persuade you that I am right on Wednesday night in Bible study because of my intellectual prowess. But it doesn't mean anything unless you see me do something right and not see me do something wrong. The power is in the deed. Sometimes the deed is done in good intention. We all have good intentions. We want to do the right thing. But after we've done something, we've said something, we've made a decision, we've whatever, we discover, man, that was the wrong thing to do. Pastors do that, deacons do that, church decision groups do that. It happens. But our pride often keeps us from saying, oops, I'm sorry, I apologize. What we decided, what I said, was not the best thing to do. It made the situation worse, not better. We need to find a way to get past our pride and to go to the deed of apology that's going to make the difference if we're a crocus-style Christian. <laughs> Some of you... Uh, well, a good many of you gray-haired like me, and you remember a, song, uh, a, a songwriter and singer named John Denver. Does anybody not know John Denver? You've never heard of John Denver. Okay, some of you have never heard of John Denver, but he was back in the 70s, and he was a great singer, had a mellow voice, beautiful voice. He was in a movie one time called Oh God. And in the movie Oh God... He was a grocery man, and he had been chosen by God to be a prophet. God gave him things to tell people. Well, this slick evangelist uh, had heard about this guy, and he said, I need to get this grocer, who's John Denver, I need to get this guy in my tent. If he will affirm me, I know my offering is going to get better. Now, that was his up here thinking. So... He calls Denver and says, won't you come and be a part of one of my great revival meetings? And John said, okay, I'll, I'll come. And he did. And at the beginning of the meeting, uh, he calls John Denver up for our interview. And he said, uh, John, what word did the Lord give you today for us? John stood quietly for a minute and then he said, God told me he'd much rather you'd been a shoe salesman. Because what this guy wanted was popularity and more money, more prestige, more money. He was not an evangelist for the right reasons. The power of the deed made a difference. And finally, we, if we're to be crocus-style Christians... We need to find a way to point somebody to something bigger than ourselves. John the Baptist knew 
He was not the spring. He was not the Christ. But he wanted to point people to the spring, to Christ. Like John the Baptist, we have to learn how to point people to the spring. Tony Campolo is a sociologist, a professor, probably retired now, uh, up in Pennsylvania. He's a white man, preaches at, uh, teaches at Eastern College, but he served uh, African-American congregation as an associate pastor part-time. It was one of those churches that had uh, several associate pastors who were part-time people like himself and a senior pastor who was just a super preacher. Well, we don't have them. You wouldn't remember them, but a lot of African-American churches will have all-day preaching. And uh, every person on the staff or everybody from the community who's a preacher will come and preach that day, and the people come and listen for the day. Well, they had such a thing as that one time. Tony Campolo was preaching. The senior pastor was preaching. Other associates were preaching. Tony had his turn, had a great sermon, sat down by the senior pastor, and the senior pastor says, Good job, boy. And Tony said, can you do better? The senior pastor says, watch and listen. And the senior pastor got up and he had a single theme that he repeated over and over and over again. The theme he had was, it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. He contrasted the tragedy of Friday the crucifixion, the rejection, the denial, the desertion by the disciples, the betrayal to the promise of victory and resurrection on Sunday. Look at Mary, he said, crying, weeping, thinking her son is dead. Weep on, Mary. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Look at the Pharisees, he said. They're strutting around thinking they have rid themselves of a recent problem named Jesus. Now he's dead. He'll be out of the way. It won't be a problem anymore. Keep on strutting, Pharisees. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. See the disciples, they run in fear. They're hiding. They're staying away from their enemies. They're afraid. To the disciples, he said, Your leader is dead, but don't worry, disciples. It's Friday, and Sunday's coming. The senior pastor began to talk about how difficult things are in the world. He said, We know the oppression of people who are against us. We know the oppression of disease and and." Depression and all kinds of things that create havoc in our life. And we all want to say, God, where are you in the midst of all this difficulty I'm having? Most of this stuff I've got on me now didn't come because I'm a sinner. It just came because I'm a human being and live in a fallen world. Maybe I've done a little bit bad, but I've not done enough bad, surely, to have this fall on me. I've lost my job. I've lost my family. I've lost whatever. We want to say, dear Lord, where are 
you. And the Lord says, I know how bad it is. But remember, it's Friday. And Sunday's coming. You and I have the privilege of telling people who are in the midst of tragedies we cannot imagine. You and I have the privilege of telling people who are in the depths of despair that it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. But we can only do that if Sunday's coming has already been alive in us. That we have crucified ourselves to the will of God. And when we've done that, we're ready to tell other people about this Friday business that they're in the midst of. But that there's a Sunday coming that'll be glorious and wonderful. May we know the power of the resurrected Christ in our life. So that we can tell the world, yes, we know it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Let's pray. Dear Lord, it is true that your world is in a bad fix. It is true that your people have failed to serve you as they ought. They have failed to spread the gospel as they ought. They have failed to be friends to their enemies. They failed to be good to everybody. They failed to bring justice to every person in the world, no matter how poor, how disadvantaged. But Lord, there are places of hope. There are places in every corner of the world where you shine because somebody has crucified their own lives to serve you. Lord, I pray that we become a congregation of crucified persons who've laid their own personal life down that you might live through them. In Jesus' Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen.